Hey, welcome to the Fake Publishing Millionaire's Hour. Let me play a little music. Alright, coming up today we got motherfucking Joey Berna from Quarren Hub talking about saving a music scene up in Portland, Oregon, using live streaming, just anything possible on a DIY basis and adapting the technology as it came out. Additionally, we've got Dennis Jones talking about his satanic cookbook, the Necronomicon of Cooking, the Book of the Fed, the Doc Ots Cookery. But first off, it's my motherfucking birthday. Um, God, that's a bad choice of words, but I'm just not going to erase this take. Anyhow, it's my birthday, and that means it's also the birthday of legendary performer Jack Terry Cloth of the World Inferno Friendship Society recently deceased and uh, rest in fucking peace I'm gonna start this whole thing by playing a little bit of his music thank you allow me one second this one's called all the world is a stage dive That was the World Inferno Friendship Society. And f- 
fuck do I love listening to that fucking band. I grew up in New Jersey, which is where that band is from, uh, and they came out when I was in high school. I was in Northern Jersey, they were in Southern Jersey, and they just blew the Northern Jersey scene off the map. We used to go out every weekend and see, like, Jeff Rosenstock, well, really the one Jeff Rosenstock band at the time, uh, the Arrogant Sons of Bitches, play, like, every fucking weekend. Uh, That's not true, like, every other weekend. They were in Long Island, and they did tour around a lot and had an album in Boston, but the point being... All of a sudden, there was no more scene up north. Everything was happening down south with the world in front of Friendship Society and this whole circus carnival, like fucking crazy punk scene. And years later, I saw them in San Francisco. And, you know, eventually they moved out to Brooklyn like everybody from New Jersey. And years later, I saw them in San Francisco uh, at Phenomenon's headquarters. And they got on stage and Jack Terrycloth, who is a caricature, was a caricature of a human being in the best possible way, announces to the crowd, we are the World Inferno Friendship Society from Brooklyn, New York. And my drunk ass just starts shouting, Jersey. And, you know, he's like, who said that? And I'm like, me. You're from New Jersey. I know you're from New Jersey. And he's like, are you you from New Jersey? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, cool. We're going to light off fireworks after the show. And we did. We just, like, drank a jug of red wine and shot fireworks right off into the street. Anywho, other local fucking legends around where I grew up there were some really cool fucking mixtapes being put out by our friend Dennis Jones, who's gone on to uh, write this kick-ass fucking cookbook that I'd like to talk about. Uh, Fake Publishing Millionaires did a little bit of distribution work to get this out. Uh, Dennis is in Las Vegas right now. I know that Meow Wolf, um, the legendary Meow Wolf, carries um, some of Dennis's stuff. I know there are other places that carry Book of the Fed, but and Fake Publishing Millionaires... Um, Put it in a few um, shops in San Francisco and around uh, uh, the country through some distribution services. But the idea is that it's not really, it's a book that Dennis found, a haunted necronomicon of a cookbook that Dennis found that um, he uh, is writing about as, as the uh, a wraparound plot, as, as the, uh, I don't know, he's not really the author of this book. Allow me to read you the introduction. From this point forward, the author recluses himself from any personal, ethical, or legal responsibility nor questioning that may arise from the distribution of this book, and rejects any affiliation with the knowledge that it claims. The author would like to thank you for your purchase and refer you to the quote-unquote Holy Bible for any curses, demons, hoaxes, growths, possessions, spontaneous fires, or dirty dishes that may now plague your life as a result of these pages. Ha 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 ha. This is a translation and anthology of found images and objects from unidentified sources. The following pages do not legally reflect the opinions of the author or his company. Regards, Dennis Jones. So as you can see, it's a special kind of book, wherein it's a haunted fucking cookbook. I'd like to uh, refer you to Dennis to talk a little bit more. I recently got an interview in uh, our home studio. Allow me to get that all queued up. All right, so um, to begin with, with Book of the Fed, the Dark Arts Cookery, um, what was the process of putting together a themed cookbook? Well, probably ever since seeing that Sam Raimi, it's like, I wish that existed, the Necronomicon, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's just a fun idea ever since seeing that movie as a kid. But, you know, you grow up, you start working for the man. It's like, how can I incorporate that world into the utilitarian world you know i really appreciate how you call um for lack of a better word starches potatoes rice stuff like that uh vessels for possession oh yeah 
Yeah, it actually it comes from it's pretty literal. Like a lot of this is just like uh, phrasing things differently. Like I, the, my approach to it was very much I wanted to treat it like it was found like on a beach in a bottle. You know what I mean? But the, the actual fact was it was found by some crazy cook. You know what I mean? Who like you know uh, comes up with these ideas because you know he was eating mushrooms as a kid. You know, like these interesting people fund that fueled this this stuff that just needed that kind of blanket of oh it's fantasy. You know what I mean? But yeah. it, it didn't. It wasn't very hard to take the jump. And you, you are, um, in writing the introduction, you are that crazy cook. <laughs> I, I can't deny it. I won't claim it, but I can't deny it. Um, what was it like separating yourself from the author of the story being some uh, an ancient scroll in a bottle on a beach? I think that's helped me actually write it. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, like, I read some, some book... By some guy who believes in lizards, I can't remember his name. <laughs> but the line from the book said, uh, uh, "Specialization is for ants, or specialization is for insects," and that really stuck with me. So I'm like, no matter what I'm doing, I'm trying to do something else with it. So um, I'm just trying to write a cookbook. But then I had that idea about that haunted book, and I'm just like, if, it, if cooking is very onerous, especially modern celebrity chef kitchen culture is very you know what I mean at the end of the day no matter how many Michelin stars you have if a five-year-old says that your chicken nuggets are gross your chicken nuggets are gross oh my god there's a lot of pride in in that whole thing so just saying that a wizard wrote it was really like relieving <laughs> oh man yeah, for real though, that's an interesting way to cut through the pretension of a very, like, um, I don't know, I, I had a table once where they ordered cheese on an omelet on a brunch shift, and like, the chef kept sending me back multiple times to ask what kind of cheese, and you know if somebody just says cheese, they probably want something like orange, you know what I mean? Like, on an omelet, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's that simple, like, they're gonna, they're gonna like it or not, depending on if you cook well, I guess. Yeah, but you get all sorts of characters. All sorts of extremely talented characters in the back of the house, I'll tell you that. True, it's a lot like being in uh, a band or like a sports team almost. Absolutely. So, what was the workflow like when you actually put this together? How did that look on the day-to-day? I kind of, it kind of started out as like sketches. Like, um, I, I kind of drew the book before writing it, like... Like, I just had kind of, like, blocks with big X's on it where I would want... Like, literally, like the cover has, um, has... Well, this was an image in my mind of seeing the... the Like, from the craft, that um, pentagram. Yeah, but yeah. instead of skulls or whatever, I kind of wanted to... It's kind of... A, it's very inspired by, like, satanic culture, but it's very much a middle finger to it. It's like... Because, um, <laughs> like, studying philosophy and being very devotedly spiritual in a scientific, I would say accurately Kantian way, mm. or Spinoza, like these people who incorporate the nature of the universe into the limits of our understanding. You know what I mean? Like these kind of um, uh, limitations to our understanding lead to what I think is the kind of fun of, of spirituality. So I wanted to, I really love the art of like heavy metal and, and, and satanic culture. I don't really know much about it. I don't know, pay much mind to it. 
So um, I think trying to play it safe, I was like, we make it about vegetables. So it's uh, so just kind of imagine. And the in the kitchen is such a a spiritual and uh, magical place that uh, one kind of led into the other, and it happened naturally. Maybe I channeled something. Who knows? <laughs> oh man, I wish that all cookbook discussions I ever have uh, bring up Baruch Spinoza. That's fantastic. I love that as a way of dispelling kind of because uh, I, I I must admit like. I don't read a ton of cookbooks outside of literally like being handed recipes when I'm cooking at a restaurant. Like I like cooking and I'll look things up on my own, but I don't own any cookbooks, which brings like me, I guess, to the, the question. I have a, I wrote down a list of questions. I'm trying to be a professional about this and not just freely. Oh, yeah, that's cool. But uh, um, why did you choose a print medium for something um, when uh, it's such a, a good themed concepts that it theoretically could make a good Instagram or blog that was also separate from you. Why print? I feel like it was being true to, to what I was doing. So like these ideas, it's just kind of like who I am. It wasn't about getting it out there even. It wasn't even about having anybody even read it. Mm. It's even cooler that it's harder to get to because it's the spirit of like uh, of the, the mystery of it. And the, uh, and the words, the words, it's, it's dressed up pretty pretty silly in a Halloween costume. It's like a philosophy book in a Halloween costume. It's very genuine. I think it's like it's it's good advice. You know, and at no point am I being tongue in cheek except for the way I'm explaining things. Mm. So um I kind of forgot your question. Oh, uh, it's all good. <laughs> I, I think you answered it on the journey. Um I you did bring up something that I find fascinating about this is that it's not a set of recipes specifically it's like a guide to the way that you and i guess the the author of the scrolls that are found that are the book of the fed um view cooking ah yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that kind of reminds because i didn't i don't like cook i don't really use cookbooks either like, i don't really collect them but i thought they were cool i had a couple you know what i mean but um they just kind of sat in the house so, but but the other books I had like Comet Bus and like these zines and these other, but I read the shit out of a page just from it out. My Siddhartha in two pieces, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, yeah. what's the difference there? It, it's almost like um, like modern chef culture. It's like a cookbook is like a part of a resume. You write it like a resume. There's a format, a set form. You got to hire have certain kinds of pictures. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like, fuck all that. <laughs> you know. Like, it's a coincidence that it's a cookbook. You know what I mean? It's just what I was doing at the time. It's just who I am. But um, I was able to talk about my philosophy about food in the guises of a cookbook. Because I don't think I could write it any other way. You know what I mean? Mm. It's, I'm not the chef. I'm just the line cook. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, if you wrote it in a different context where it didn't have all these badass metal covers with made out of foods on every page. Uh, if you wrote it... Uh, through a different lens, you would really be centralized in the conversation, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it kind of wasn't really about that. Like, it's got to speak for itself. You know what I mean? Like, mm. most most of, like, I took classes on the on philosophers like, by name. I took a class on Nietzsche. And most of the stuff I was reading was other people's books about Nietzsche, like Deleuze, you know what I mean? So, so I, 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 don't, I just want to avoid that whole situation and make it fantasy with, like, content you know what i mean like lord of the rings as opposed to you know 
But at the same time, at the same time, I, I, as much as I was not about cookbooks, one of the most famous, maybe the first cookbook, was um, by Chef Escoffier, the, the, the French cookery. Mm. And that's what really, like, made this book write itself. Was, um, it, he was, it was very, like, a genuine expression. And a lot of the, the structure of modern cookbooks, mm. you can see it in his book, but it's just so much, it, it flows so much more sincerely. Yeah, I was just channeling the, the crypts of Chef Escoffier. <laughs> ah, maybe that's who you've summoned. <laughs> I, could be, I, could be, I could do it. I'm uh, looking at the credits on the back because, again, that's like one of the few places where uh, you bring it back to yourself. You basically do the, the not even the preface, the uh, um, a quick author's note in the beginning. Then there's like a full Yeah, page. the prolegomena. The introduction is called the prolegomena. That's what Kant does. <laughs> yeah, it's a shout out to just little things I like for myself. That's cool. I would not have uh, gotten that. Uh, he's my favorite. He's my favorite because he's just the most right out of anybody. Emmanuel Kant. Um, that that uh, using prolegomena was a shout out to um, oh, I'm, the name of the book is escaping right now. The possibility of any future metaphysics, I think. Um, but yeah, that's what these old school philosophy, like Enlightenment era philosophy books, are just so conversational that um, yeah, it kind of encourages, I think, me as a modern writer because I'm not necessarily, I'm not. I have as much, I have more of a stake in writing than I do in cooking. So in terms of having like fiction-based or a storytelling-based vessel to tell uh, about philosophies on cooking, did any of that come from uh, Zarathustra? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what it's all about for me. That's what it's all about. I feel like so much modern storytelling is, is, is you know, the, the save a cat story structure, box, box, box. But there's so much more going on mm. that... um that could be explained. And I think the, the death of philosophy has left has resorted society to uh, entertainment. Whereas before, like, the, the, we were, it was about the lessons, about the stories, and that created the conflicts. I mean, there was a whole era where the hero always died. You know what I mean? Like Greek yeah. tragedies, you know what I mean? Like that shit would not fly today. It's... But I think what the difference is, we're all people. The difference was the type of, not like the, the core of the content, you know what I mean? And I feel like it's simple. It was philosophy. Because philosophy is everything. It's just analyzing everything. I was thinking about uh, when you said that about how all Greek philosophies would have failed the 50s through 90s comic book code that they put on where the hero can't lose, the villain can't win, uh, the villain can't yeah. have a motive that's reasonable. There's like a whole list of things that are like cold. You, you know the one, the... Um, yeah, yeah, the McCarthyan era uh, comic books code. Yeah, comic books code authority. Yeah, no great. Yeah, it's, it's real, really super literal. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really appreciate getting to talk to you for a second about the influence of different philosophers and not just cookers over the years. Cookers, Jesus Christ, that's not a word. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. <laughs> I want to be called a cooker next time I'm on the line. <laughs> this is my cookers. <laughs> this is smack, smack. <laughs> to remove all pretension from this. Uh, yes, Chef. Uh, okay, tell me about, uh, this is a limited run, correct, for the first book of the Fed? Well, the idea, the idea is um, there's two more parts of, for book of the Fed that may or may not, like, come out. Like, this was really self-contained. I said what I needed to say. But um, I also have two other parts that might, 
might come out. But this is this is it. I kind of the idea is for like somebody who who doesn't know me to find it randomly, and then try and find more copies. You know what I mean? <laughs> it is it, it becomes haunted. You know, it becomes. Jesus. Oh, you know, it, it gets its own. Its own. It lives as itself. It gets its own spirit, being what it is. So I'm just being true to it from what it was from the idea, and um, yeah, and if it just ends up in a landfill, like uh, maybe fry from Futurama will find it. Level up as kitchen skills. I don't know, but yeah, it's all about just being true to the art, being true to the book. Did you ever read the book House of Leaves? No, no. I think you'd like it. It's a book about a book that's found that's haunted about a movie that doesn't exist it's like meta on meta uh it's called house of leaves it's delightful well, that sounds awesome who's the author oh i cannot remember offhand um house of Le- i'll text it to you uh when we're done with this oh very cool yeah definitely i'll check it out uh, I, I love it. uh being a chef and not like a public figure as a writer is a fantastic way to do it. I mean, you, I see you pushing it on the internet, but you definitely are, are at the same time seem to be enjoying not being a, a quote content creator. Yeah. Time moves fast. You know what I mean? Mm. It's going to be a hundred years pretty soon. Cooking is such a, a life hack for anybody who's stuck is learn how to cook and, and you can work anywhere. Thanks for taking the time. Appreciate you. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thanks for writing a cool-ass book. Um, hopefully this will help get the legend of the Book of the Fed, Doc Ott's Cookery, <laughs> out there a little bit. Sweet. Once again, this is the Fake Publishing Millionaire's Hour. That was Chef Dennis Jones coming at you about uh, Dark Arts Cookery with the Book of the Fed. Uh, coming up, I would like to play a little bit of Dennis's music. Uh, it would just make me really happy. This song is called My Generation. It came out in 2007, and when I went to college uh, up just in Westchester around Yonkers, New York, uh, everybody I knew was bumping this album, and it was really cool. So here we go. Yeah. 
Coming up next, Posing Ivan Lead. Posing Ivy Lead by Dennis Jones. The grand escape of history's greatest villain by Denosaurus Rex. Ha-ha!
fuck. Uh, getting wistful. This dates me. I'm 34 today, but I was thinking about being like 18 or 19 and going out and getting stoned on like pipe resin and like Yonkers driving around. Everybody do somebody who worked in a movie theater or something. And my friend Seth Nicholson, who's still in the Bronx playing in the Pressers and D-Mac Burns and a bunch of other cool reggae bands, uh, would always have this in his car. And it was awesome. That is number two by Denosaurus Rex. Uh, it's got a Sonic the Hedgehog style cover. You'll see it. Go check it out. It's on Bandcamp. I'll have everything linked up. Now let me take a minute and tell you about Joey Berna, a fucking patron saint of the music scene in Portland, Oregon. Uh, like most musicians, if you're a musician in the crowd or if you're not, you know that when uh, shit went dead during the pandemic for live shows, everybody was scrambling to figure out how to play shows. Joey Berna single-handedly pretty much put together uh, a program called Quarnhub, Q-U-A-R-N-H-U-B, which uh, got a lot of the bands in Portland, Oregon uh, to, to be able to play either their last shows before breaking up in the pandemic in an uncertain future, or be able to keep playing and to raise a bunch of money for all of the different causes around Oregon, because Oregon is sincerely a pretty fucked up place. But the world's a pretty fucked up place. But Oregon's a pretty fucked up place. I get into a big like loop here, so I'm not going to... Uh, get too stuck on it. Anyhow, Joey Berna plays in a very kick-ass band called Mouth Breather. Uh, once again, it's the fake publishing millionaire's hour. And if there's any time after this, maybe I'll sneak in some Mouth Breather or some oafs. I did promise some folks I'd play some ska, so we'll see which uh, devil on my shoulder wins first. Now, take a minute and listen to Joey Berna as he describes putting together something which saved a thriving music industry on the brink of, well, who the fuck knows what. Let's check it the hell out, yeah? Okay, let's do this. Let's, uh, let's rewind the clock to the very beginning of the pandemic. Um, and how many music projects were you working on when you started the Cornhub live stream service? Just Oaks and Mouth Breather and then Cornhub. <laughs> so let's, uh, how did Cornhub get started? Uh, how did you decide on the name? What, uh, take me to the very beginning of it. So at the very beginning, I was um, doing a lot of things to kind of ease the anxiety of the I feel like at the beginning of the pandemic, it was a lot scarier, um, maybe because we weren't used to it yet, um, but I, I just need to put that energy somewhere, so I, I built like five garden beds in my yard, and I started helping uh, Leo with his pizza business, kind of anarchy style out of our backyard, and then I was just like, I really need to play a show, and... I don't know how to do it right now. Maybe we can do it online with like a Facebook Live thing. So yeah, Mouth Breather played the first Cornhub show. It was just like we, we had just released an album and our last show was our album release and we had a tour book that got canceled and it was just, it was such a letdown that we're just like, why don't we just play with our phones out and We'll put it online and see what happens. And then we're just like, well, we got to, we should do it for a fundraiser because it's like, you know, I can take tips. Might not be that much for us as just a band to just be our friends giving us five bucks or whatever. But when we started doing for mutual aid, it was like, oh, a lot more people are interested. We kind of got more eyes on us when we're doing a fundraiser. So it kind of, it's kind of a win win. When you started uh Cornhub and at mouth breather before that was gigging hard around portland uh and you 
I remember we played a show together and somebody like in the street heard your band was like, oh, fuck, that's Mouth Breather. And like all of a sudden there were like more folks in the venue because they're like, oh, hey, they're playing tonight. Like (laughs) it was that was really cool. Plus uh, being both being line cooks or chefs, uh, uh, you guys had a uh, a hot sauce as merchandise for a while, correct? Yeah, that's actually um, that uh, album release that I mentioned before was where we first brought the hot sauce to a show and yeah people love it we still we sell it Leo's got a brick and well he's got a food cart now and uh, we sell it there that is a success story too in and of itself is that uh, Leo kind of Leo your bandmate mouth breather broke out of um, working for one of the like five or six restaurant groups in Portland Oregon and uh has uh, for a while was making pizzas in the backyard with you and doing them for uh, again uh, to fundraise for different charities and mutual aid groups. Correct? Yeah, it was twenty five percent of earnings would go to um, mutual aid around Portland. Usually, don't shoot PDX or um, PDX Free Fridge, um, Okra Project, Sisters of the Road, which is another uh, restaurant that feeds folks in Portland and countless others. Yeah. So with Quarnhub at the same time, uh, that was like kind of your baby, huh? Yeah. That was kind of like, I want to keep music going. I need to like see some live music. It's such a part of uh, my life and my roommates lives, and, you know, pretty much my whole circle. It was created and revolves around live music. I was just like, let's see if this feels good and and for a while it did feel good and it and it felt good to like make connections and you know people are just playing out of their houses but you kind of get that sense of community still being there even when you can't see them in person you know yeah for a town with so many bands the void of of not having venues and uh uh, other than maybe Bridge City Sessions, not that many live streams were popping up. Uh, Quarnhub really filled a void, and there were a lot of bands that, that showed up and played some pretty, like, I would say, some of the biggest shows in the city over the course of that year. Yeah, it, it felt cool. I, I also, um, a couple of gigs, I teamed up with Jay Shingle, um, who at the time was living in Portland, and uh, he's a great comedian, and he has a lot of connects in the comedy world. And he, he also helped me book some really great comedy shows. Unfortunately, you can't see those shows anymore because after like a week of having the comedian sets up, they want it taken down because they repeat the set or they repeat jokes and they don't, they don't want them up there just for anyone to see <laughs> at any time, you know. So how long were you running Quarnhub and like what kind of impact did that have on your life? Um, in terms of your day-to-day, how many a week were you running, uh, what kind of... Um... So I did it for almost two years, I think. I think it was about a year ago now I had my last Pornhub gig. We were doing it weekly for a minute. I say we, meaning me and the musicians who played. And then it kind of became a lot to solidify three artists that can play from their home um, every single week. So I, I switched to um, every other week, and that seemed to do better. And I would take off a month here and there. We had, like, a bigger Halloween show. GivingMap.org reached out to me, and they're just like, hey, I've 
seen what you're doing and like maybe we can put on a bigger show. And so we had uh, eight bands play on Halloween. I think that was Halloween 2020. That was probably the, the highest grossing fundraiser. Um, uh, GivingMap.org was, um, it, it, was a, it was an interactive map and it would show you all the areas most affected by COVID at that time and the ones that need um, supplies and fundraising the most um, across the U.S. And um, so you could give to Giving Map, and they would help those areas that were really going through it at that time. Um, Tess Godwa out to me and um, helped helped organize that. Um, I think I know them from. Uh, I uh, we used to do fake publishing millionaires uh, literary events, and I believe that they uh, did a reading at one. There was we had some cool ones over at the Mad Hannah over in Portland for a while, but it interfered with pool playing. <laughs> People, uh, oh, okay. we had oh uh, Naomi Morena's band. I forget what they're called, but they played like a bunch of Pussy Riot covers acoustically. It was a great set, and they were killing it. But it was just like a bunch of people playing pool were like never, never this vibe again, and we. Uh, <laughs> This was like the end of 2019, and I thought there'd be more of uh, those particular events too. Um, and what I kind of appreciate about showcases in person that uh, Quarnhub kind of had going for it was people could film with their cameras from home, and it kind of opened up, the pandemic opened up this thing about uh, having shows that are nationwide, where like previously it'd be very hard to get people to watch a live stream because there's other shit going. But when you're not afraid right. of missing something out locally, you really do get the opportunity to. Uh, I remember you had some bands from uh, New York that were playing pretty consistently uh, in a in a Portland-based channel, which is huge for them, probably. Yeah, um, I, I'm from New York originally, and so I, I still have some roots there and old friends who who play out of there. Had my buddy from New York who lives in Marfa played a couple sets, and some high school friends who were living in Colorado, played with their, like, doom metal band, and that that was cool. Um, interesting time. I'm not really tech-savvy, um, so that was uh, that was kind of a crash course on learning how to do that kind of stuff. I feel like it was for everybody in terms of, if you were in a band and you wanted to play on something like that, you had to learn how to record yourself remotely. Companies that made little microphones or cameras must probably cleaning up the whole time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, you hosted a Jay Graves one, right? Um, yeah. She that group has a very good had a very good live stream setup. I don't know what they're doing with it now, uh, but I remember they got their live stream setup just locked in place. Do you remember anybody else that was just flawless about their sound? Actually, uh, Worms, the uh, the hardcore band out of Portland. W O R W S set up their session with me through Bridge City Sessions. And they, I remember their set sounding really good. I had it like hooked up to my nice speakers and everything. I was like, yeah, this sounds awesome. But we made it work with everyone. I was just talking to um, somebody recently about about all this and just talking about how I had to, before I would use um, the streaming service, um, I had to explain to everyone how to go live on Facebook <laughs> and can connect their cameras and microphones and whatever. And I was just doing this. I was just troubleshooting their phone issues from my house just to make this show work. <laughs> um, it was it was a pain, honestly. It was it was hard because 
yeah, I was learning it at the same time. And this is all um, just to keep, for the love of keeping shows going in a capacity in the void, correct? There's a, yeah, there's a couple of times where I took like a break and we wouldn't do shows for a month just because like doing that kind of organizing and being on my phone so much when I already am on my phone so much just to scratch that socializing itch. It honestly took a lot out of me. I never want to work in an office. I never want to work on a computer solely. Is there anything else you'd like to say about your experience running Quarnhub, uh, where it's left you as an artist in any way, how it's changed your way of thinking? It definitely reinforced the need for that kind of social event in a community. I, I just played a show last week at a DIY skate park, and the community like turned out for it. Um, and I was just, I was like, this is this is what I want to be doing. And Pornhub was just a little piece of that. I'm I'm trying to figure out where Pornhub fits in in life now. And I'm I'm kind of thinking that it doesn't really have a place now, other than the people who get COVID and can't go to the show they already bought tickets for. It's like okay, well maybe we could live stream some of these shows. I don't really have the means to do that. I don't have like a nice camera and mics. I can mic up every show I play or every show I go to. But I'm I'm at a place where I just want to um, keep shows going no matter what. Whether we have to be like safe in our homes or whether we can do it out in real life in the real world, I think that it's really important. There are a lot of people that still provide accessibility to people who are either remote or. Uh... I can't come out to shows for one reason or I mean, for health concerns or being the most prominent reason. Um, uh, but it's not the biggest thing that we left the pandemic with, whereas for the last couple of years, things like Hub were ubiquitous. Everybody was playing shows that way. There was it was mm-hmm. uh, it was the Netflix of concerts for a little while. I, w- I was trying because I, I haven't thought about Hub in a minute just because, you know, life life goes on. But um yeah, reflecting on it now, I'm I'm kind of like, I don't know what I would have done without this this piece in in my life. I was lucky enough to be able to go to therapy for part of the pan, part of the lockdown, um, but that was definitely like just a big release of energy, just a big like, okay, shows you know, there's there's some ounce of normalcy in this. There's some some ounce of like togetherness that we still have and I feel it out there and there's other people out there who are who want this too. I'm I'm not the only one hurting. It's hard to forget that you're not the only one when you're just trapped in your little box of safety. <laughs> are there archived recordings of the Quorn Hub sessions and where can I find them? Still on the Pornhub um, Facebook page. I haven't taken it down or repurposed it yet. I started booking some shows through the No Folly Art Club, um, which is a, an indigenous and queer-run art space in um, southeast Portland. And I was like, ooh, maybe I could like set up cameras there and like start using those pages that are just sitting there for that. But I, I haven't quite figured out how to do that. Um, so you can find them all on the Facebook page. Facebook.com slash Cornhub. Make sure you spell it right because I've I've had a lot of like international folks log onto the page and thinking it says uh, Quran Hub. Oh no, that is a, that is a... <laughs> and I'm just like, 
we got a lot of new viewers, and some of them are actually like, oh, this is cool, too. <laughs> That's a best-case scenario. I, I think if I was religious and looking for something, uh, I don't know if I'd be stoked on finding it where it's like a death metal show, <laughs> but that's... That's my take on it, I guess. Oh, oh uh, you asked me earlier where the name came from. Um, my buddy Brian said it jokingly one time, and I was like, I can't think of anything better, so that's what, that's what it's going to be. Oh, man. I heard that that's how like, they came up with the name for the band Kiss, was like they were joking about it, they needed a name, it stuck, and then Gene Simmons wouldn't let them change it back, and they all hate it, but that could be conjecture. <laughs> that's funny, I didn't know that. Shit, Joey, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks for asking me about be a part of this. Kind of feels like a little bow on top, because uh, after I stopped doing shows, it was like, that was that. That was that. It's over. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, I don't remember. I was trying to count how many shows I did, but I honestly couldn't get a precise amount. It just, yeah, I'm looking now, and you can see all, pretty much all the videos that I did, as well as uh, receipts from the mutual aid so you can kind of get a gist of what we raised yeah oh i guess you were on our last show actually it was july 9th oh gosh that was the one with schlub and indica huh yep yep oh that was uh that was a fun one i could never get the sound straight for that one i think that my set just sounds garish but it's got a lot of flashing lights i had a good time it was a good way to like send it off Streamyard. that's what i was trying to think of earlier Streamyard was the service i used that made it pretty easy, too, to upload, um, for people to upload their files and interact with it if they did it pre-recorded or to swap over. That was a game changer, but it was also kind of late in the pandemic streaming live music game. Um, it definitely made everything so much easier. It's a free service, and the sound was better, and the video was better, and you could post it anywhere. By then, though, there were only like a handful of shows left, right? Like, for most of it, it was just trying to figure out how to troubleshoot those issues. <laughs> Maybe it was like halfway through I started doing it. It was it was kind of when uh, Jay Shingle started helping me with it. He's like, oh, you could put a little banner at the bottom saying where to send donations and who was playing. Um, could have could have been helpful to have that at the beginning when I was teaching everyone how to use Facebook. It's a patron saint of the music scene move, though. It definitely doesn't go unappreciated. Um, I think a lot of bands had maybe their one or two only shows of the year. It, you know, in between all the crazy reopens that got shut down like pretty much right off the bat and were like being in hazmat suits, like getting to play Cornhub was a comfortable gig and maybe the only gig for a lot of people during that year. And kind of like a little like shout, like, hey, I'm, I'm still here, we're still here, musicians are still here and we're hurting, you know, because we can't play gigs. You know, if you're a full-time musician, that's kind of like what you got. It's like... Gigging is where you sell CDs and where you connect with people. And um, if you can't do that, then it's like you can look forward to the Bandcamp Friday. Um, yeah, people don't hear from you unless you're like constantly releasing things. Definitely made people change to a video format for a little while. Whether it be live or whether it be pre-recorded, people were using videos more than they were concerts. And the monetization for that isn't exactly the same, but it was interesting to see people tip musicians directly. Yeah, I think only the first Cornhub show is one that artists took some tips. What we would make, it just didn't seem like a lot. And then, yeah, when we started doing it for fundraisers, a lot more people tuned in and a lot more people uh, tipped because they, you know, you feel helpless in your home and you're just shopping online anyway. 
<laughs> felt like you were kind of doing something when you couldn't like safely do things. Um, I was in a COVID pod situation where we had, um, you know, compromised people in our pod. So when all the protests and things were happening downtown, it's like we couldn't get very close to all that. We couldn't be around all the people. We had another responsibility to think about. I'm not saying that other people didn't. But yeah, for the folks that couldn't, out of you know their own safety, get to those protests and be in the streets and be loud, it was another way to, you know, give something and to feel like you were involved. I think that's important, just keeping, keeping that connection. I do feel like so much has happened since I stopped doing these shows, I just, uh, yeah, I just needed a refresher and it, it kind of, um, it ma- makes me feel like it had some kind of impact if you're, <laughs> if you're asking me about it and, and, you know, bringing it up. So yeah, thank you so much. My pleasure. Honestly, as a musician, it meant a lot to see somebody trying that hard to pull the community together. Well, yeah, thank you so much. All right, that was Joey Berna of Quarn Hub. Once again, there's Alan Moskowitz on the Fake Publishing Millionaire's Hour. I'm going to play you the title track, Perpetual Stew, off the Mouth Breather album from 2020, also called Perpetual Stew, because that's how title tracks work. Thank you very much for being here.
Alright, here's Joey's other musical project called Oafs. This song's called Oafs, and it's on the album Pit. Clap with the coconut pop, white plastic tack on the timepiece. Some exhausted flock in the tree beaks, got them locks, pick sneak snip, sweet gear, slag, jawed lock, step, pop, spit, bubble up, gug, gurgle up a lot, lurch like a guppy fly, flip it off the sidewalk, side eye, eye box, fox, stem, mind talk, toxic, get out, somewhere, oi. Back to the nails, tip tap on the counter, can't cope with the clutter, but I clamor for the clatter, got a crack in the Cadillac, hack metaphor, trash lines get slagged off, past time spent on craft is a blessed toy, laugh lines hitting way out to the exit or the back alley, alley oop, the loop thrown, the loop gone, the soup shown, the dupe known, the coup flown, the gust blowing, say move on, the too long going on to a new jaw. Alright, and I promised some ska music, so I got some ska punk international jams. This first one's called Delayed Green New Jersey by Kamoy. Hi, my name's Val.
Hey, well, thank you for being here. Uh, once again, this is Fake Publishing Millionaire's Hour. This week we had Dennis Jones with the Book of the Fed that is available if you're in San Francisco over at the Silver Sprocket Bikes Bicycle Club over on Valencia. And if you're uh, in... Las Vegas, it's available over at Meow Wolf. It's available in a lot of places. It'll be out through um, the Skybox pretty soon. Um, also, Chef Dennis Jones on the social media stuff. Check out Joey Berna, who did the second half of this show's interview uh, with Mouth Breather, with Oafs, with uh, Plume, with a whole bunch of cool bands up in Portland, Oregon. Uh, they are an immensely talented musician. And we've got some more cool guests coming up the next time we do this show. Uh, I have had an absolute blast, and thank you for spending my fucking birthday with me. Um, my name is Alan Moskowitz, and I am the fuck out of here. Once again, this has been the Fake Publishing Millionaire's Hour. Thank you. <laughs>